Okay. I want you guys, if you would, to tell me all the bad things that are taking place globally and locally. All the news that you know that is just terrible. Who wants to volunteer? Okay. And Japan. And they're not stopping, apparently. That Pacific Rim, uh, ring of fire. Yeah, it goes off on one side of the Pacific. It has to go off on the other side. Okay, that's one. Earthquakes. Who did? Oh. Is that a loss? I don't watch much. I'm interested. What did he say? Man, anybody else have some bad news? Yeah, real bad floods. How many people have lost their lives on that? Yeah, I think in uh, Ecuador, was it 29 people died? Oh, maybe it's Japan, 29 people. And that's changing. Is that the only bad news? Is there any other bad news? Oh, yeah. They caught him. They caught that guy. Yeah. That's... Well, did you hear about the uh, bill they want to pass in Congress that condemns Saudi Arabia for being involved in 9-11? And Saudi Arabia said, you better not pass it or we're going to pull our treasury notes that we bought from you guys of $700 billion. And that will affect the country, and we will stop buying your military armaments. And so the president went over there. He's over there right now, and I guess he's trying to smooth it over in the Congress. And it, they're trying to pass it, and it's just a big mess. That's a mess. Um, anything else in this country that's a mess? <laughs> okay, the reason I'm having you do that is because there is a lot of bad news. I mean, if you just... Oh, yes, Mariah. Not many people are witnessing to non-Christians. Yeah, that's not good news, huh? But what are they supposed to be witnessing about? The good news. So with all this bad news, there is good news. Now, I was going to talk about ethics today, Christian ethics. And ethics is what the society deems is okay, and morality is something that is beyond that. It is transcendent, and I'll get into uh, that probably next time. I wanted to tweak that study just a little bit. But we're going to go through witnessing uh, here this evening. Now, first, you guys have the Romans Road. You all got that, right? You can keep that in your Bible. And you guys got the good person track, right? Okay. I think I had enough back there. And do you guys have one in Kamai? A track in Kamai? Cambodian? Yeah, I got some tracks in Cambodian in case you're interested. (laughs) 
if you're going to go over to Cambodia. Anyhow, we're going to get to those in a minute. Now, on your handout, I think I have still more handouts back there. Okay. Everybody have one? Okay, first, before we (coughs) get into the text of what we're doing here, how many people in here have actually gone out street witnessing? Raise your hand. One, two, three, four, five. Kind of? Or yes? What what were your experiences like? Most of the people just, I mean, either they'd stop and listen or most of them said not interested and kept walking. They weren't really rude. Okay. Same with you, Cheryl? Has anybody had a rude encounter? Witnessing? Oh, over at the hotel? Oh, yeah. My paperwork. (laughs) (laughs) They wrapped their donut in it and they said, okay, we can use that paperwork. Well, content is everything, too, when we witness. Um, they don't even let me get started. They know you're coming? Okay. All right. Well, witnessing, I, I've experienced all kinds of reactions when I've gone witnessing. The first time I witnessed somebody witnessing with a bad reaction was when I was in college. And we happened to go up to, it was um, an intramural sports day, and it was kind of extracurricular activity. And I think I was 20 years old, but it was sponsored by Budweiser. And they fed everybody at this lunchtime. There was things like inner tube water polo. Uh, There was tug of war. There was a lot of different intramural things, uh, softball, sack races. And this one girl was there, young lady, and she was going around trying to witness, and I was watching her. And I'd just become a Christian, I think, a year or two before. And she walked up to this one guy, and it was in this quad area up at Fullerton. And this guy, all of a sudden, he starts yelling at the top of his lungs. And there was probably four or 500 people in the quad area. It was so loud, it caused everybody to stop. And she was trying to explain the gospel, uh, not really pleading with him, but not arguing with him. But he just let her know in so no uncertain terms that he didn't want anything to do with her Jesus and to stop talking to him and completely embarrassed her in front of everybody that was there. Afterwards, I went up and I encouraged her, um, you know, to just continue uh, she's going to run into that. And I know that she knew that, and I'm this baby Christian coming along trying to encourage her. And so that's one reaction. Other reactions, like recently in Cambodia when we were uh, driving around when Eric and I were on the motos, I had the 
uh, Khmer, that's the language spoken in um, Cambodia, I had it in my pocket here, several of them. And as we were going on the motos, the traffic would stop and there would be cars all around us or motos all around us. And I'd just reach in and I'd hand them to somebody when we were stopped. And everybody always, they took it, no problems. There was a guy in a uh, tuk-tuk outside of our hotel uh, at the Long Tai Lee. And I just walked up and I handed it to He came forward like, yeah, I want that. And, and so you can just hand out these tracks, even though you may not know the language. You can have them printed in the language or buy them in the language and pass them out. Now, with this idea of witnessing, <clears throat> and number one there, we want to find out why we witness, the reason for witnessing, if you want to fill that in, reason. The reason for witnessing or the why. <coughs> and it is to secure a commitment to Christ and to save people from the coming destruction. And you can probably flip that around to save people from the coming destruction and secure a commitment to Christ. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, and I quote this often, it tells us that there are going to be those who are raised to eternal life and those to eternal punishment. It actually has a punishment first. It says, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And so the reason we share our faith, what we have now, the salvation, is to keep others from suffering the same fate uh, as the rest of the world that is just going to go uh, to hell. And, you know, when you talk in those kinds of terms... And you say, there is only heaven and there is only hell. There is no way station. There's no third choice. Uh, as far as total annihilation, the doctrine of total annihilation, it doesn't exist. You don't go to sleep and never wake up and never dream. That's not what takes place. Scripture is clear that we will all be resurrected at the great white throne judgment in the, um, for those who don't precede them in the first resurrection. The second resurrection, which is the great white throne judgment, people will be judged. And the scripture tells us that the numbers are going to be few in comparison to all of humanity. So that's why we witness. Secondly, the research or the how uh, for witnessing. We are supposed to know the word and be open to the moving of the spirit. And how was this accomplished in scripture? Actually, why don't you turn over to First Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> and it gives us some instruction here. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It says, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So it tells us two things. It tells us to know the word, and it tells us to live a life that is uh, in comparison or concomitant with our profession of faith. We shouldn't live one way and then say that we profess Christ and live the opposite way from that profession. So we are to make sure we're in the Word. We're supposed to be studying. We're supposed to be becoming disciples, and that never ends. We continue in that. Even I continue in that. I'm looking for different ways to increase my depth of knowledge of Christ and Him crucified. 
And we always need to be pursuing that. There comes a time where you're supposed to be feeding yourself. If you sit in any church for any length of time, if they're going through the Word, you will end up coming to a point where you hear things repeated in Scripture or you go over the same book and you've already been there and you understand that and it is the responsibility of every Christian to start feeding themselves to where you, when you come to church, you not only can say amen, but you have understanding, but you may not gain a lot as you get older, but you're able to say, yeah, that's it, and then encourage others as well. That's the reason we get together. So there needs to come a point where you haven't heard a lot that's new. Maybe you hear it delivered a different way, but you pretty much are a mature Christian and you understand what God's will is. So third, the rejection of the witness and their marriage, uh, excuse me, message. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, when it comes to witnessing, there is going to be from time to time a rejection of you and the message you deliver. Uh, that will happen on a semi-regular basis. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 13, it tells us, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So the people who are going to perish are in greater numbers than the people who are going to make it. And there are even people in church who think that they are saved, but they've never followed the commandments of God. In 1 John, it talks about those who love God keep his commandments. And if you don't love God, you don't keep the commandments. And then you have to ask the question. I actually gave this to a guy today. I gave him that verse, and then he challenged me. He said, so how many people in your church keep the commandments? And I said, they're all commandment breakers, uh, every single one of them. But there is this humility of wanting to be submissive to the Holy Spirit, trying to get it right. Perfection will never be achieved. A righteous man falls seven times, and seven times he gets back up. And so if you give a message to somebody, and most of the people are going to be saved, most of the people are going to reject the message that you bring. It's just mathematics. It's going to be the numbers. Then the world will be resistant to your witnessing. Now, this is kind of redundant here, but I wanted to make sure that you understand how resistant. They will actually hate you if you start to witness. In John chapter 15, I'm going to read from verses 18 to 24. These are the words of Jesus here. He says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Now, he's talking to his disciples here, but we are all disciples. If you belong to the world... It would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. I was listening to some news this last week. And there is this uh, seminar that is out there, White Privilege. Uh, and maybe you've heard about it. What's that? I think it was in Oregon. And they got together and they said uh, there's a couple of problems. Of course, it's the white race that is one of the problems. The other problem is Christianity, they said. Christianity is the sole reason we have so many problems 
in this life, in this country, in this world. And if it wasn't for Christianity, we wouldn't have these problems. And so this is a movement that's gaining steam out there, just like the rest of the United States. It's moving away from any mention of God. And so quickly in our own country that was founded under godly principles in the Bible, everybody is moving away from that. And they're not professing Christ the way that they should, or if they do, they're professing him in a way that is unholy, breaking the third commandment. And so that's how the world looks at us. It also says, verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. However, wait, yes, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. Thank you for that. That went a long way. I should have made an airplane out of that. Now, this witnessing or evangelism is second to something in the Scripture. Do you guys know what it is second to? It's not the primary thing the church is supposed to be doing. What is the primary thing the church is supposed to be doing? Anybody know? What's that? Making disciples. That's it. That's the primary responsibility of the church. Secondly, to make disciples... You have to have converts, right? But the primary responsibility, which you're supposed to put all your effort into, and does anybody know where that's located? Go, Matthew, what? Yes. 19. Yeah, that's it. And that's the great commission is what it's called. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Now, if somebody is studying, if they're attending Bible study, if they're in church, if they're striving, if they're repentant, striving to be pleasing to the Lord, I'm not saying striving against other men because the Bible says the servant of the Lord must not strive. But this idea of being in with both feet. Uh, on our trip to Cambodia, Dr. Joan, who is uh, one of the doctors on the trip, she made reference to Andrew Murray's book, Absolute Surrender. And in that book... Uh, Pastor Drew commented in the midst or at the end of the study and he gave this illustration that's in the book and I just read it because I'm going through it I have it on my Kindle and I just read the quote and the quote at the end of the quote it talks about a coat that you wear when you put on the coat it is completely submissive to my body when I wear it It does exactly what I want it to do. My coat doesn't fight me. My arms on a coat, they don't start flailing in their own direction. It doesn't want to pull itself off of my shoulders. It is completely submissive to my will. Another illustration that was in the book that Drew talked about was you have a pen. Once you pick up a pen, that pen is completely submissive to the will of the person who holds it. Unless you have one from Disneyland that has a little vibrating thing in it, it's not going to be totally submissive. The same thing with a cup of tea. If you have a cup of tea, if you pour tea into that cup, that cup is completely submissive to your will. You want the tea in there. You're picking up the cup. It does exactly what you want it to do. But what if you fill that teacup full of ink? That's not your will, right? And what if instead of filling your teacup with the word, you fill it full of something else? And that is the thing you are a regular partaker of. If you do that, that is not being submissive 
to the one who made the teacup or the pot maker or the one who makes the cup. And so our job as disciples is to learn to be completely and 100% submissive to God. And as long as we turn over our will in that, then God is obligated to perform it in us. As long as we are submissive, he says he will bring about the work to fruition. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it in you unto the day of Christ Jesus. And so when it comes to witnessing, when it comes to growing, when it comes to being a disciple, all of those things reflects our commitment to Christ. Now, God wants us to share our faith with others, even if it costs us our lives. Now, you might say, what are you talking about? Now, not in this country yet. It's not going to cost you your life to share your faith in this country. You can hand out as many tracts as you want, and I dare say the chances of you being killed because of that are extremely slim. But if you go to, over to Yemen, to Saudi Arabia, uh, to some of those 1040 countries, certain parts in India, uh, you could be killed for doing this. And I just watched a, a, a video on far-reaching ministries. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but Wes Bentley is the guy who started this up, and he is in Sudan, and he is in Uganda, and a couple of um, other countries that can't be named. They don't want to put it on the website, but they're going into the 1040 window. And they're training the pastors over there to be a witness. And the pastors look like they're actually in an army. They have the fatigues on. They have a hat, a red beret, and they have a cross on the lapel on their uniform. And they go out and they understand that they may have to give their life for the gospel. Also pastors in India, K.P. Yohanan, when he sends out the pastors in India, they are trained that if you go out, you may in fact lose your life. And so these guys are being witnesses and they are willing to give their lives. In our country, we may not be so willing to do that, but that is the commitment that Christ wants from us as far as being a witness. Now, he will empower us to be that witness. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, that word witnesses, um, I'm sure you guys, a, a lot of you probably know what that word means in uh, the original language. You guys know what it means? Yeah, who said that? Smart man. <clears throat> the word is marturo, where we get our word martyr. Christ will empower us to be his martyr. In other words, he will enable you to die to yourself <clears throat> as well as to die physically for the gospel. And all the disciples, it is believed, except for one, died for the gospel. They were crucified. John, uh, the apostle, was boiled in oil, but it was more like a jacuzzi for him, and they took him out, and they banished him to the island of Patmos. Uh, sawn in two, you know, from the, the faith of the heroes of old. Um, it is believed that, um, was it Isaiah that was sawn in two? Uh, you know, so you go back and you read about these guys, and it's just a horrible commitment. But that's the kind of our horrible thing to happen to those who are committed but that's what the Lord asks us to do. Now, in our country, if we pass out one of these, you might say, I can't do that. I might get rejected. They might talk bad 
to me. You know, this wouldn't really be good for me to do that. It, the light and momentary persecution that you might encounter is nothing compared to what is going on in the other countries. And if we are aware of what is going on in these other countries, passing out a track is nothing. You know, and, and I need to do it more. I haven't done it enough. I need to get some more of these and carry them around with me. I do carry around a New World Translation Bible in my truck. So if I ever see a Jehovah Witness, I can pull things out and, and uh, try to give them the good news. But uh, rarely has that worked, and you usually get rejected. Now, God wants everyone to be saved. That's the second one there, Roman numeral. <clears throat> in Second Peter... Chapter 3, verse 1, all the way through verse 9, and 9 is the key verse there. And you might want to turn there, and it's probably a good idea uh, to underline verse 9. But I'm going to start in verse 1. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by the Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in these last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forgot that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And these waters also... Uh, the world of that time was deluged, or by these waters, the world also of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. In other words, why has God taken so long? The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, some people take the book of Romans, and they use that to say, see, God makes vessels for noble purposes and some for ignoble purposes and he created pharaoh in order to glorify himself and pharaoh looks like was destined for destruction now how would you guys respond i'm just kind of curious when the bible says god is not willing that any should perish why would somebody go for the avenue of no god intends for some to perish how would you respond to that what would you say would you say anything? Do you believe that? It does. Yeah. That's an excellent answer. That is the answer. It is the free will. Pharaoh, it was first him who was hardening his heart. And by the way... You cannot fault someone for not extending mercy. You guys, fought, now that's a concept you've got to wrap your head around. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And justice is getting what you do deserve. So if somebody decides, like God, to not extend mercy and extend justice, he is not to be blamed for extending justice for somebody who rejects him. But the world would like to condemn the individual who says God is not fair. 
And of course, if you follow Ravi Zacharias, if you've ever heard of him, you know, why does God send a bunch of people to hell? And Ravi Zacharias says, hmm, let's see, why does God send people to hell? You're saying that there is a standard of good and you're appealing to the standard of good. But if there's a standard of good, there's an ultimate law that dictates that good. And if there's a law that dictates that good, there is a law giver. And if there's a law giver who is good, then this idea of evil, you're questioning evil. Why are you even questioning evil? We know that there is a good God. You've even stated it in your premise in your question. Now, if you followed that, you're doing good. And I'll try to explain it maybe at another time a little better. The point is, if somebody objects to God because he doesn't act the way that they want to and there's so much evil in the world, you're appealing to a goodness, a good standard. And you see, if you start witnessing to somebody and you start getting in the weeds like that, you're pretty much going to lose them. You're, you're going to spend hours and you're going to waste your time. If somebody is genuinely interested in witnessing or what you have to say to them, they will take the time and sit down with you. If they just want to argue with you, you might as well just say, okay, I'm done. And there, I have spent in the past years trying to convince people of the truth of God. And if they don't want it, you can't make them drink. And I've come to learn, look, hey, if you don't want it, you don't want it. I understand. It's okay, man. And I walk away. I brought up a couple weeks ago, I'd been reading Kosher, and he had a quote that when you're trying to give, provide the gospel to people to share with them the good news, that they will revert to a philosophical argument almost always instead of acknowledging their sin. They don't want to acknowledge their sin, so they go off into a philosophical argument. Yeah. You know, I have... Uh, been contacted to meet with somebody that believes God doesn't exist and wants to talk to me about it. And so I know it's going to be philosophical argument time. And I know it's going to take a lot of time, but I want to sit with them and I want to give them the gospel. And that's where I'm going to end up going. I'm going to end up saying, look, you're just not dealing with your sin. And usually a reason a person doesn't want to admit that there is a God is because they want to do whatever they want to do. They want to be in charge of their life. They don't want to be told what is good and what is evil. Uh, There is a um, publication called, I think it's called Philosophy Now, where a guy by the name of uh, Joel Marx, he wrote this dissertation. I'm going to go on a rabbit trail here for a second. He wrote this dissertation on morals. And he said, basically, morals are believed to have come from three places. The first place is a transcendent God. The second place is it is inherent in the universe, and we just discovered it. And the third place that morals come from is evolution, that we have brought these up. Now, if you go into these arguments, and sometimes you'll use stuff like this in witnessing. If you go into these arguments, the last two are completely bankrupt. There is no absolute truth. There is no absolute right and wrong if you go to either one of those last two. And the first one is the only one you can go to, and that's how society exists. It's because there is a moral standard that is transcendent, which means... We didn't create it. It comes from outside of us. It is a law that exists in spite of who we are. And so just I'm going into some of those weeds just to give you an idea. Unless you're prepared to do it and sit down with somebody for a long time, 
just give the gospel. That's all you have to do. That's, it's as simple as, are you a good person? And you can actually read through this with somebody if they want to do it. Now, going on. So God wants everybody to be saved. <clears throat> Preaching produces believers in Christ. Now, it is definitely the preaching, before I read Romans chapter 10, verse 12. The preaching, I, I had you guys give me all the bad news, right, at the beginning. But there is some good news. You cannot preach salvation, the good news, without preaching the cross and sin. It cannot happen. And there are a lot of churches today that will just say, God loves you. Come forward and receive what he has for you. And that is good. But if you neglect to say the reason why God loves you and what he has done for you, again, like uh, Ephesians chapter 1, it's just God has set us in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. All these things he has done for us, if you talk just about that, but you don't talk about the consequences of sin, people will be lightweights. They don't know why they're getting saved. They, they just think, hey, we're going to go on a e-ticket ride, you know, when we die and it's all going to be good. And so you have to tell the person of their need because most people don't want to admit that need, just as Les was saying. They don't want to know about their sin. So I'm a good person and that's what our society says. Don't uh, talk about anybody in any way that may make them feel uncomfortable. Just as an illustration for this, I was Watching this guy, uh, it was like uh, Waters World. Do you guys know what Waters World is? It's where he goes on a campus and he has a microphone and he asks the people on the campus what they think. And one of them was uh, he held up a picture of George Washington on one of the university campuses and he asked the people, do you know who this is? And they said, no. Several of them said no. They didn't know who George Washington was. They didn't know who Jimmy Carter was. They didn't know who Abraham Lincoln was. They didn't know all the... And these guys are at the university level. And so what he did is he started asking people about the transgender bathrooms. And he was... He went up to several people, especially this one woman, and he said, okay, so if I called myself Chinese, and this guy is white, five foot nine. And he said, if I called myself Chinese, would you tell me I'm not Chinese? And the woman would not tell him that he was not Chinese. And he said, well, if I was a six foot four Chinese woman and that's who I believed I was, would you tell me that I wasn't? And the woman wouldn't do it. And he went through seven or eight different people on this campus and they were extremely reluctant to tell them it wasn't okay to identify as that individual. And so that's where the world is going. The world doesn't want to tell you that what you're doing is wrong, except for one category, the Christian. If you are a Christian, you are wrong because you are narrow-minded and you are bigoted and you are intolerant. All the while, they are showing themselves to be intolerant of the Christian. So that's the world we would deal with if you go out and you start witnessing somebody who doesn't want to be told about their sins, somebody who is just happy where they are, who doesn't want to tell anybody else they're doing wrong, and we just want to be inclusive of everybody except those who follow Christ. So that's the world we are in. Now, 
preaching produces believers in Christ, Romans chapter 10, verse 12, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blessed all who call on him or blesses. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of, of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? The, these are rhetorical questions. It's like in 1 Corinthians. A rhetorical question in chapter 12 says, Do all prophesy? The answer is no. It's a rhetorical question. They already know what the answer is, but they're asking just so you'll reaffirm what it is and gain understanding. Well, the same thing here. How will someone or everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved? How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? Well, they can't. They can't call on the one they have not believed in. Well, how can they believe in someone if they have not been told? Well, they can't believe in someone if they have not been told. You see how this works? And how can they preach unless they are sent, in verse 15, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That is what our responsibility is, is to bring the good news. Now, by way of um, illustration here again, Tim and Gary have a friend, and that friend's name is Frank. Frank now comes here to the church, and he is the one with calcium buildup on his lung. Now, I'm going to digress. Now, here's how God works things out, and God is the one who does this, by the way. Frank and I have known each other for, I want to say, 25 years. Now, here's how it came about. I lost, I I canceled one company that was acting in an immoral fashion. They weren't paying me, and they held two-thirds of my business. I was distraught at the time. I was buying a house from them at the time. I was not going to have my first house payment. I was completely stressed, but I knew somebody from my childhood that was down the street that worked at Sharp Hospital. Because of that, he called me up because somebody at Sharp Hospital wanted the front of rehab landscape. So I came to that job there. Because I was on that job, somebody who happened to be in the real estate management business happened to go up to rehab visiting somebody and left their card and wanted me to call. And so I called them, and I started doing extensive work for them. One of the places I was working with them was Heatherwood Garden Apartments. And by the time I had finished at Sharp Hospital, everything was back on track. I had my first house payment. It was all good. Well, at this Heatherwood Garden Apartments was Frank and Trish. They were the management staff at this particular place. And I worked there for probably 15 or even 20 years until they changed hands, and we were always on a good relationship during that time. But during that time, Frank had cancer. He had cancer of the colon. And... So I told him when he came up to me, he started talking to me about that. He knew at that time I was religious. And so I, uh, I talked to him. I remember where I was, and he was very distraught, him and his wife both. And so I just I said, I'm going to tell you a secret. I'm a pastor of a church, and I want to let you know about salvation. And I gave him the gospel. And I said, would you like to pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And he said, you know, if... If he will do this for me, I'll I'll serve him, and I'll just be there. And so I prayed with him, and he overcame the cancer, and uh, I lost touch with him for, I don't know, 
five, ten years or something like that. I did give him a Bible, yeah. And so I, I didn't know if he was going to church, not going to church. And then Kim comes up to me one day at church and says, Do you know Frank Testa? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I do know Frank Testa. And they said, they're like our best friends. And I said, really? And they live over here in Lakeside. And I'm going, no way. And they go, yeah. I said, invite him to church. Well, he came to church. He's been here ever since, you know. And he is just so thankful he is here. Well, because of the circumstances that caused me a lot of anxiety, brought me to the place of Heatherwood to witness to Frank, who is now here today, and he is just thriving. And God will set up the circumstances in your life, bring you to particular points. It may cause you a lot of anxiety. It may cause you some loss, but God puts you there to be a witness. No matter where you go or what you do, God wants to use you for that endeavor. But there's two things you have to have. One is a pure life, and the other one is a knowledge of the Word. That's where the discipleship comes in. If you do those things, if you watch your life and doctrine closely, and you are in the Word, and you study your sh- to show yourself approved, a workman who does not need to be shamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth, Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. If you do those things, God will open the doors for you. And once you start witnessing to people, and they start accepting Christ, you're going to go... I love this. I got to do more of this. Give me another heathen, Lord. And they'll, he'll bring the heathen along and you'll get to witness. Now, a heathen is anybody who doesn't know the Lord. So with this, the next point is repentance is necessary for salvation. Now, a lot of people preach salvation, but they don't preach repentance. Mark chapter 1, verse 15 says, The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, these are the words of Jesus Christ, right? Luke chapter 13, verse 1. Uh, actually, verse 3. It says, I tell you no. Oh, no, I better give you the whole thing. Now, there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans who blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no. Again, this is the word of Jesus. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died in the tower in Siloam, when the tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Acts chapter 2, 38, Acts chapter 3, verse 19, Acts chapter 17, verse 30, they all talk about this idea of repenting. And repenting means you, a, a couple of different meanings. It means the direction you're heading in, you have to turn down 180 degrees. The direction you're heading in is unbelief. That you do not believe in Jesus Christ, that he is the savior of the world, able to save you from your sins. You need to turn around. But also, we're supposed to repent of our sins. Now, we will not become sinless when we accept Christ, but we will sin less. Mike McIntosh used to say that from the pulpit all the time. And what it means is you're going to forsake certain things, but you're never going to reach perfection. Not until you get a new body because you are bound to sin. And we are sold to sin. And Christ frees us from having to do that, but we are imperfect. And so we have to repent 
first with our belief, but also with our sin. When we see a sin, we recognize it. If others call us out on it, we have to repent. But those who call us out on it, they're supposed to watch themselves so that they don't also get caught up in the same sin. Galatians chapter 1 verse 6, excuse me, chapter 6 verse 1. It says those who are spiritual are supposed to restore those who are caught in a sin. And so this grace of God comes in over and over. We are just called to repent. We're called to turn away. If we have been lax in our commitment to Christ, we're to repent from that. Because if we know the good we ought to do and we don't do it, for that, for us, that is sin. If you know you're supposed to be fellowshipping, if you know you're supposed to be studying the Word of God, if you know you're supposed to be serving in some kind of capacity, and you say, I'm really not doing that, well, we're supposed to repent. We're supposed to turn from that. And this also applies to somebody who needs to hear the gospel. They need to be told they need to repent. They need to turn. It is not just the good news. You've got to give them the bad news. Okay, so that's the idea encapsulating what it is to witness. A couple of examples of this are Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. We should turn to Acts chapter 8. Now, this is one example of somebody who was witnessing in the first century church. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. I'm going to go back to that, but I'm going to continue. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now this, did I give you number one on that? Number one is, guided by God, listen for the voice of God. Secondly, it's inquired about understanding. And this is kind of the progression. This is how it's going. Verse 30, then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said. Unless someone explains it to me, so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. So somebody is inquiring. This is one way to witness. Somebody wants to know about God, and most people want to know about God. If you ask them, do you believe in God? They're not going to say, ah, just get out of here. I don't want to talk to you. They're going to say either yes or no. And you can engage him in a conversation. Thirdly, he was expounded, excuse me, he expounded when invited. He blossomed the scripture. He opened it up. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. We have to be able to answer the questions that people have before us. Even some of the difficult questions. If somebody is truly seeking and they have some questions, seeming contradictions in Scripture, or they lack understanding, it is our job as believers to be well-versed enough to be able to answer or know that you can go back and get the answer and meet them again and provide them with that proper answer. Fourthly, he encouraged obedience. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, 
Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the river, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again. This is the first case of beam me up Scotty but went on his way rejoicing Philip however appeared to Azostus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea and so he encouraged the obedience and baptism came right away it wasn't something that you have to go through a class to maintain a certain level of knowledge if somebody confesses Christ get them dunked as quickly as possible And, and so that's how one person witnessed he went from explaining the scriptures, encouraging or expanding the knowledge that this guy had, encouraged him to obedience and enabled him to do all these things. That's what we're supposed to do. That is our job. Then Paul in Athens, Acts chapter 17, verse 15. The first one was usually the way by the uh, illustration that's there, the story. That's usually the way it happens. You have a friend They ask you questions about God. You give them the answers, and they make a choice, and you encourage obedience. When I just got saved, um, my best friend in high school and another guy, we went skiing. We drove from San Diego to Mammoth. I drove the whole time just outside of Escondido. This one guy, his name was Frank, asked me about Christ. Now I was still young in the Lord, but he asked me about Christ. And from Escondido to Mammoth, we talked about Christ and the Bible. And that guy, Frank, he ended up getting saved. Uh, The other guy, the best friend in high school, I I don't know if he's saved. I don't think he is uh, to this day. But that's friendship evangelism. I mean, you're just talking. You're just carrying on a conversation. We talked about everything, obedience to Christ and the book of Revelation and what's taking place in the future. And if you are just with people, it gives you an opportunity to witness. And they need to know you're a believer at some point. You don't want to be a a cloaked Christian, you know. Uh, Like if you go to a party where everybody's drinking... Do you just get a glass of water or orange juice and so you fit in with everybody and they think, well, it's either straight vodka or it's a screwdriver that you're carrying around, you know, something like that. Do you do that or do you just not carry one? And they say, hey, why don't you have a drink? Oh, you know, I'm not going to be drinking this evening. And you don't have to be condemning, but you are. You know, you don't have to do that. And you want to be nice. You don't want to repel people because your attitude that you have with certain things You want to show them the kindness of Christ because Christ, he sat with prostitutes and sinners and tax collectors and we are called to do the same thing, just not get caught up in what they're doing. So Paul in Athens in Acts chapter 17 verse 15, the men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. And this one, Paul was burdened in his heart, number one, under Paul in Athens. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. In Cambodia, in Phnom Penh, literally. How often would you say, Dustin and Eric, did you see an idol? Every house, every business, every school, there was some kind of idol somewhere. The town square, five-headed snake, was it? Some seven-headed snakes and... I mean, just, just, there was one guy who was gold-plated. What was the name of that place, Eric? 
you had this gold-plated guy that was sitting with his legs crossed. And he, was he a president or emperor? Or? He was actually just the president of a company in that area. Oh, that's who he was. So they made a gold statue of him and yeah. stuck it up there. I mean, idolatry over there is everywhere. Do you think it's any less prevalent here? Yeah, that's right. We just don't recognize them the same way, right? We don't recognize the statues of people or animals or snakes or whatever it is. But we... Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, don't, don't be talking about those, man. <laughs> Okay, so he was burdened in his heart. And if you travel to other countries, if you have a heart for Christ, you're going to be burdened as well because of the idolatry that is there. Secondly, he reasoned with the religious. Verse 17 says, So he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. So he conversed with the community is what he did. He was actually engaging and as Christians, we're not to sequester ourselves. We are to be out there. We are not just to go to church and be friends with the people in church. We're to be friends with people outside the church. And we're supposed to engage them in conversation and even friendship. But be careful how much friendship. Bad company corrupts good morals. First Corinthians chapter 15. Then we have encountered opposition. Did I mess up on the numbers there? Do you have two threes? Okay. Yeah, well, I, I may have messed up on the numbers I noticed on my copy here. Anyhow, he encountered opposition. Verse 18, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with them. Do you guys know the difference between the Epicurean and Stoic philosopher? The Epicureans, I'm going to say it as uh, John Corson said it once. He has a particular affinity for a particular type of sandwich. His sandwich is bread with mayonnaise with uh, bananas and peanut butter it is a delight to the mouth if you put it in it just sends your taste buds going crazy John Corson called it an Epicurean delight the Epicureans thought life was about pleasure the more pleasure you gave yourself over to the better your life was the Stoics were into virtue. There are a lot of don'ts. Don't do this. Don't do that. And if you just stay in line with what is virtuous, everything will go good with you. So you had these two groups, and they would meet together, and they would argue back and forth. And here comes Paul in the midst of these two groups. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting at the Areopagus. And this is where everybody got together and just argued is what they did. Where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. Have you ever been called to a group of people to explain your faith? This is what Paul had happened to him. Not just one, but it gets pretty exciting if you have several people sitting around and they're all questioning you like, well, what about this and what about that? 
And if you've studied to show yourself approved, if you've kept your life pure, God will use that even when you think he won't, right? Now, he is invited to expound on the scriptures. Verse 20, you are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. And in verse 22, here relevant to the crowd he was being he was talking to them on their level meeting them where they were paul then stood up at the meeting of the areopagus and said men of athens i see that in every way you are very religious for as i walked around and looked carefully at the objects of worship i even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown god now what you worship as something unknown i am going to proclaim to you The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men and they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. And by the way, that pertains to us as well. God determined that you should be alive at this particular time, that you attend church in Lakeside and that you live in Lakeside or Santee or one of the communities that are close. He determined that. Verse 27, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. There's that word repent again. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he appointed and has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Do you see how he was able to be relevant he conversed with the crowd he encountered opposition he was invited to expand on what he uh, actually knew and he told them they have to repent and he told them of the good news and the judgment is that is to come so he gave both the good news and the bad news now you can expect sneering by some when they heard about the resurrection of the dead some of them sneered But others said, we want to hear you again on the subject. At that, Paul left the council. And the final one is anticipate acceptance by others. So you're going to be rejected and sneered at by some, but there's going to be a few who are going to accept your word. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, that is the doctor that went with us, or Damaris, and a number of others. And so... These are two examples of how to witness. Now, there's more than that. There is the good news, right? You can give the gospel by taking the good person test. If you haven't read through this, and I'm going to get another box of these uh, to have them here where you can carry them around. And if you are real nervous about witnessing to somebody, just go down to the boardwalk and pass them out. Just say, here you go. And if you see some Muslims sitting down there, and they will be by Hamels, You can just say, here you go. And if they throw them on the ground, just wait for a little bit and go pick them up. Don't leave them on the ground and then pass it out to somebody else because chances are it's going to end up in the trash. If you see them throw it in the trash, if it's not all messed up with beer and whatever else is in there, take it out and give it to somebody. 
That's all you have to do. You don't even have to say anything. It's like, here you go. Thanks. And you walk away. It is really easy. But some people start becoming apoplectic when you say, just pass this to somebody. And they go, I can't do that. It's so nerve-wracking. It's very easy to do it. Just to give, and you don't have to engage them in a philosophical argument for the cosmological argument for the existence of God. You don't have to do that, or that I'm going to talk to you about the teleological argument for the existence of God. Just hand them the track. Just say, here, I I want you to take the good person test. Just read this. And you can do that. Now, if you want to take another step forward, memorize the Romans' road that sin came to all men. By one man, sin came to all men. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it talks about the sacrifice of Christ. That's what this is for. You can just become familiar with it. You don't have to pull it out of your Bible and say, well, wait, hold on. Let me go through each one of these at a time. Just tell them what the Bible declares and how God calls on all men to repent. Now, if you do this, or the friendship way, I prefer the friendship way, just sitting down with people, because it gives them time to ask the questions. And if, like I said, if you bone up on not only the scripture, but some of the philosophical arguments, God will use you to the extent that you do this. I'm going to give you one more story. One time I talked about, uh, it was given an explanation of God and a defense for him without using the Bible. And it's all those arguments I just talked about. The teleological, cosmological, ontological arguments. there's the moral argument for the existence of God. There's several arguments like that. And I was uh, going through that one particular evening, like this one, and a woman that was in the church, and she was a mature Christian who witnessed often. She was just folding her hands, kind of shaking her head, thinking to herself, I will never use this stuff. I think it was the very next day she found herself on a plane and she was with somebody who sitting next to an individual who is a university professor and she had her bible open and so the professor started talking to her about her religion and it hit her right then maybe she should have boned up on the cosmological teleological ontological and moral arguments for the existence of God because the guy was not having any of her Bible and she realized at that time that and she came back and told me which was to her credit she said you know I should have listened I should have packed that away and the more you pack away the more God will bring out and he will allow you to be used as long as you are absolutely submissive to his will. If you do that, and, you know, even sometimes if you're not submissive to his will, he will use you anyhow. And when God uses you in that way, it motivates you to do even more. It is even much better. Now, if you're not sure if God wants you to go out and witness somewhere, the Bible declares, do it. Go out and be my witnesses, right? In Jerusalem, Judea, uh, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, we are supposed to do that. And when it comes to knowing the will of God, I'll probably deal with that. I told you I was going to comment on something else in Scripture here, but I'll probably wait till uh, Sunday to do it. If you just step out in faith, God wants to use you. And he loves you so much, he's going to prepare you for it. And sometimes, I will tell you this, 
you're going to fail. You're going to say the wrong thing. You're going to have the wrong attitude. You're going to get in a fight. I will give you one more illustration. Two Mormon elders. Uh, I've told this story before, but they were riding their bikes in a place that I was working. Whenever I work outside, I always encounter somebody. And they pulled up in their bikes, and they had their white shirts on, and they had their little black uh, name tag here with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And they pulled up, and uh, I said, Hey, guys, how you doing? Because I was working right there. Hi, guys, how you doing? We're doing good. I said, Oh, you're out just uh, sharing your faith a little bit, huh? And they go, Yeah. I say, Hey, you know, I've had a question for a long time. I wonder if you could help me with it. And I, I asked them the question. I said, concerning your temples, you guys get married in your temples because you believe in the next life you're going to be married, right? And they said, well, yeah, that's right. And I said, well, when I read Scripture in Matthew chapter 22, it says Jesus condemned the Sadducees who talked about the afterlife and being married because they gave him a story about a man who married a woman and he had seven brothers and he died and she married each one of the seven brothers and so they thought they would trip him up by saying, which man is she going to be married to in heaven since she married all seven, right? Because that's the Old Testament law. That's what you're supposed to do is marry your older brother's wife if you were to die early and have no children. And I said, Jesus condemned the Sadducees and said, You erred because you know not the Scriptures nor the power of God. There is neither marrying nor given in marriage in heaven. You will be like the angels who are eternal, who live forever. I said, If Jesus said that and your Book of Mormon says, You know, you've got to be sealed in the temple in marriage so you can be married afterwards, I said, Who am I supposed to believe? Am I supposed to believe Joseph Smith or am I supposed to believe Jesus Christ? These are two contradictory statements. They do not match up. All of a sudden, the one kid, he started shaking a little bit, and he goes, Get behind me, Satan! And he gets on his bike, and he starts riding away on his bike. He goes way outside, and I go, You err because you know not the Scriptures nor the power of God. And I was blowing it at that point. I was just shooting darts at him. And I said, you know, error always runs away from truth, and truth never runs away. I'm almost chasing him down the street. And I I got done, and the Lord goes, that was good. You know, and it wasn't. I, you know, I just totally blew it. I was just getting so zealous for the Lord at that point. I just wanted to force the truth into him, and, and it didn't work worth beans. And I just scared them probably even more. And they thought I was a demon incarnate, you know. And and it was just terrible. So there's going to be times where you do it good. And there's going to be times where you don't do it so good. It's okay. God knows that. You just turn to him and say, I'm sorry, God. You know, will you help me next time? And he's faithful to help you the next time. Now, do you guys have any questions about witnessing? No? Okay. No questions? You're all set. You can do this. Number six, expect sneering by some? That was seven? Uh, Okay, the numbers are messed up then. Relevant to the crowd? Okay. (laughs) Well, I'm going back from that, invited to expound. Three, encountered opposition. The other three that I had conversed with the community. I messed up the numbering on that. Conversed with the community. He engaged them, is what he did. Now, we can't be afraid to engage. If a Jehovah Witnesses, now, sometimes they'll come to your door. Sometimes it's better not to talk to them at all. They just want to argue. 
Invite them in. Sit them down. Give them the gospel. Tell them this is the way it is. You're not going to be a resurrected dead. Live here on this earth. We get to go to heaven. John chapter 14. So, um, questions, comments? Okay, if you guys have further questions, you can drop them in the gapit box and let's pray. Father, we ask for your blessing on this idea of witnessing. You have called us to be your witnesses, to be your martyrs for the faith. Help us to die to ourselves. We understand that our walks are not supposed to be about us, but they're supposed to be about you. Letting a lost and dying world know that they are dying and there is a judgment. Help us to have compassion and a love for them as you do, Lord. Help us to be carriers of that love and good news. But help us also not to shy away from the bad news. Help us to deliver it as you would, as Philip would, as the Apostle Paul would. Lord, help us to remember their examples. When We thank you that you have called us to do this. And again, enable us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, we are praying for her earlier, but we'll do it again. Yeah, let's, let's pray for her. Father, we ask for uh, Julie that you would give her just peace which passes understanding as she's going under the knife tomorrow. Pray that you give the doctors wisdom. And I pray, Lord, that it would not be a difficult surgery. It would be so simple. And the doctor would know exactly what to do. And the anesthesiologists give them wisdom and the nurses that care for her afterwards. Pray that you would bless her and her family in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, thanks, guys.